1: And welcome back to Katie Piper's Extraordinary People. This is the podcast where I normally sit down with somebody who's lived a truly extraordinary life and learn from them. But because of the circumstances, we can't do that at the moment in the same room. So we're recording from our homes, homes that are full of kids, sometimes dogs as well. But we're keeping it going. And that's the main thing. In this episode, we're going transatlantic. I'm actually joined by an icon. Many of you will know her from Drag Race, but more recently, a lot of you will know her from her star turn in the ballroom in Strictly Come Dancing. There was also an amazing appearance on Celebrity Big Brother, or even perhaps her new BBC series, How's Your Head, Hun? Long before any of that, though, she cut her teeth on the New York underground club scene, voguing her way through the 80s and meeting a certain RuPaul along the way. Joining me all the way from California is Michelle Visage. Hello. Hi, Katie. How are you? <laughs> Thank you for having me, honey. It's a pleasure. I mean, gosh, look, it's hard to know where to start, actually, um, with you. And it feels a bit predictable and boring to go in like chronological order. Um, <laughs> do you know what I mean? Like, it's Yeah, just,
0: you can it, do I mean, whatever you'd like, darling. You, It's your show. Ask away. That's what I'm here for.
1: Okay, so where, where I am going to start, right, is today um, I was thinking all about you and, it, you know, I was researching you, listening to different shows and stuff you'd done and I was supposed to go for a run for like half an hour. I ran for like an hour listening to different records of you in my Aww. headphones. Yeah, and, and it was weird because I suppose I see you on the surface as... um like an alpha female, right? So very robust, very strong. And the more I listened to different records you've done, I was like, she's so maternal. Mm. And so like, so mothering and so nurturing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I wondered if you identified as a giver and and not as a receiver. 100%, always mm. been. I've never been comfortable really
0: with receiving, which is... Um, a problem, actually, because mm-hmm. my whole life have has always been about uh, wanting to please others, and I you know, in all my years of therapy, and I know it 's not a very British thing to talk about, but as an American therapy, listen, in general, therapy saves lives. I just know mm-hmm. it 's not a very British thing to do, and I wish it was because it helps so many people, and for me, it helped me greatly because I was adopted. And right. I think, as an adopted kid in utero, when you know that you're, you don't know in utero, but those vibrations from a parent who doesn't want you, mm-hmm. kind of goes into your DNA, and yeah, it, that it's, rejection
1: it's a, from the beginning,
0: correct? It's a fact. Um, and I met my mother later on in life, and we can get into that later. So it wasn't it wasn't hate filled, but. She knew at 18 years old she couldn't keep me and couldn't provide for me. So she gave me up for adoption. I had been adopted by an incredible family. But all the issues that I suffered, body image, eating disorders, all that stuff, uh, can be linked back to that. My mm-hmm. constant need to be get approval or wanted or be loved by everybody is a, is a giver thing. Mm-hmm. And it... um it's because I want to give to make people love me. I want to give to make you think that I'm worthy, et cetera, et cetera. It goes back to that. So I had a mother who was very tough love, you know, from Brooklyn, New York. And she was, you know, loving and maternal. And and even though she wasn't my biological mother, I think that I get a lot of that maternal Mm. thing and that thing just to want to help from her. So
1: I do identify as a giver. It's a good question. Because it was where I started to relate to you, because obviously with me, I've been really open about what happened to me. And then as a result, anyone that's had some kind of attack or burn injury will come to me to be fixed or come to me for help. And I spent a good few years giving and giving and until I kind of ran a bit dry and then I had my own whole set of new problems that I didn't have in in the initial stages and I just wondered how do you cope with boundaries because you know boundaries is about being assertive and I don't feel like assertiveness would be something you struggle with but do you struggle with boundaries uh I don't
0: struggle with assertiveness
1: <laughs>
0: that's never <laughs> been an issue because I kind of came from not a lot so a hustler. I was a born hustler. And I, mm-hmm. I always knew that we don't have money and I'm going to have to try to get what I get with no guidance. Cause none, yeah. my parents didn't know what to do for a kid who wanted to be an actor and a singer. And, you know, they did all that they knew how to do within reason, within our budget. Cause we, like I said, we weren't wealthy. So they were amazing at supporting me. Um, as far as boundaries go, Um, I've always been in a neg in the negative space of that. I've always been a person who is very stoic and I don't show Uh emotions That's because it is, it is very British that Mm. I've always been stoic that way when it comes to me, when it comes to uh, other people. I'm really good at protecting myself, meaning I can give all of me to somebody who needs me. And and like when Mm -hmm. I do these events, like a drag con or a meet and greet at one of our tours, I try to give that person a real substantial hug and let them know that they matter, let them Mm -hmm. know that their their feelings are valid. Um, And that could suck you dry to the point where when I do do days of just hugging people at a convention or otherwise... I come home and I'm exhausted, and I sit there uh-huh. and I can't figure out, Michelle, why are you so exhausted? I'm stand, all I'm doing is standing. It's not like rehearsing for eight hours on Strictly. I'm just standing there, and it's because I'm giving of myself emotionally. So, the boundaries come when I I know that I've gone too far, and it's yeah. starting to make me feel weak or sad or whatever the situation is. But I'd rather give of myself to to the people who need it. Um. Then not. It's super important to me. So you know where the line is, Katie, and you have to draw it and people will continue to come to you and you mm-hmm. will feel a void. You're going to start going, all right, so there's a fuel tank and when it runs on empty, mm. you have to stop. You mm-hmm. get to the point where you know where you're at empty and then
1: you need a recharge. And that's what I do. I mean, it took me the pandemic to realize I'm not really emotionally available for my kids, my husband, like I'm good with my diary and I get home and I'm here and I'll put them to bed, but my head's somewhere else or I'm on my phone or I'm just exhausted. And I didn't realize that till I was forced to stop through, through the whole lockdown. But isn't that a beautiful thing to be able to realize what yeah. you've been, you can't,
0: so now that you have that knowledge, you can't live in regret. So now you can't go, what have I been doing? Oh my goodness. Now I feel guilty. Don't. So mm-hmm. now that you have that power, you know, Rue always says,
1: oh, Mom. oh, look at this beauty. <laughs> Hello. You kid? We found a wood. I found um, a big wood lice okay. and I put it in water and it was swimming. <laughs> okay. Well and done. And then put it back in. <laughs> All right. Good girl. Listen, go in the garden. I'll be back out in a minute. Okay. okay. Cool. All right. Thank you. And there we have it. Just <laughs> like that. That's my daughter. But that's, that's
0: what it's about. That's what it's about. You know, there's many years. Uh, that I did morning radio and I would get up at two thirty, three o'clock in the morning and my kids were just born
1: uh-huh. and
0: I would leave and, you know, not come back. That's to hard. It. It's really hard. And I know, and right. So you sit there and you think, well, all these years that I, I'm the provider for my family, my husband's a stay at home dad, and he's amazing and brilliant. And I wouldn't change it for the world. But I think about all those times that I missed. And if you uh-huh. sit there and beat yourself up about it, Nobody's going to win in that situation. I did what had to be done to pay the bills. Mm. Same with you. You did what you have to do, and you continue to do what you have to do. But now you have a, a knowledge of yeah. okay. Put this down. Be present. My daughter, my oldest one, now won't even talk to me if I'm not paying attention to her. Oh, She'll good. just walk that's away. Good. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But it's you really taught good.
1: her that. That's good. At, she's put, she's giving you a boundary, isn't she? She's no, being she assertive with sure you. Yeah. yeah. What do you think about the saying, a woman can have it all? A woman can have it all. I mean, we do have it
0: all. We're, see, we're I superior hate that gender. Saying. Oh, I love it. Well, it shouldn't be a woman can have it all. It should be anyone can have it all. But this, it, you can break it down in two different ways. One way to look at it, and I want to know why you hate it, is we have always been second-class citizens. Women have always been inferior to men. So mm-hmm. it's an empowering statement as far as, a woman can have it all because we've always been told that we couldn't. We've always been told that we need to be barefoot and pregnant in the kitchen, keeping house. And not that Mm -hmm. there's anything wrong with that because a housewife and a stay at home mom is one of the hardest, a mother's the hardest job in the world, but doing it all the time is, is a lot. Mm -hmm. Um, so I give a lot of credit, but Society doesn't dictate that that's all we're meant to do in this world. We couldn't vote for the longest time. So that's where I think the base of where that statement comes from. But for me, it's true. A woman can can have it all, but so can anybody. A kid can have it all. A man could have it all. We can all have it all. Um, Why Mm -hmm. does it bother you?
1: Because I hate this idea of like, you can be the perfect mom, you can be the career woman, you can keep your husband happy. And then when when you're failing at that, you think, shit, everyone else is like managing it and juggling it. And you know, if I'm honest with myself, when I'm peak in my career and I'm traveling abroad and I'm doing everything, I then don't really know what the favorite book is of my kid anymore. I don't know what toy they're using at night to sleep. And equally, when I'm at home and out the loop of work, I'm worrying about all the competition that's doing the show that I wanted to get. And, And I never really get the right... Balance and and the kind of saying makes me feel like other people are and I'm and I'm failing and it's like this weird circle of envy when you envy something that doesn't really exist in anyone's life.
0: Sounds to me like you put a lot of undue pressure on yourself. I'm a perfectionist to
1: my detriment. I think. Oh you my know, god! So I'm using you as a therapy I actually, session. <laughs> <now>. <laughs> that's quite all right.
0: That's what we're here to do. And you know, I'm a perfectionist as well. I'm a Virgo, and by nature, that's the way that I'm built. It's the way that I'm drawn, but uh, it doesn't make you less of a woman or less of a mom or less of a wife or less of a human when you can't do everything at once because by nature, we can't do everything at once. It's not normal. So when I was off in the UK for five months doing Strictly or doing whatever, um, all I have is FaceTime and my husband catching me up. Um, Do I feel holy, David, I'm sorry. I've just seen the largest squirrel. It looks like a cat. David, the <laughs> size of the squirrel, squirrel in the backyard. Oh my God. Yeah, it's a, it's a mutant. Um, but for me, I don't think there's a place for guilt in that because I am doing the best that I can do. My kids are not going without. Your kids are not going without. Your career yeah. has to be tended to, Katie, or else it's not going to happen. If you're mm-hmm. okay with that, then that's fine. For me, I'm not okay with it because again, I'm the one who've, pays the rent. I'm the one who feeds the family. So I have to nurture that career. We can't do everything. So if that's what that saying means to you, then you can continue to not like it. For me, it empowers me because I know I can mm-hmm. do anything and everything, but to my standards, Katie, mm-hmm. not to the standards of the the moms society. at school. Yes. in yes. society, yeah. because that's a bunch of Crap, anyway, isn't it?
1: Mm. It's that's, funny because I I think like people see you as an ally for LGBT, but I don't really label it like that. I see you as an ally to everybody who's ever experienced some kind of discrimination, which means it could be straight men, it's women, it, it's everybody that's kind of you know felt not enough, perhaps. That's really sweet, and
0: I identify with that greatly. I think it started out. And has always been the, the gay community, LGBTQIA plus community has always been my home and my platform and will continue to be that. I have it. We have a gay kid and and it's just always been my family and my community. And having a big mouth and seeing things happen that shouldn't be happening was where it kind of and how it all started for me. But yes, for me, it turns into more than just queer children or gay children. It's it's women who don't feel good about themselves, men who f- felt unworthy, whatever it is. if you, I feel like there's
1: a place for everybody in this world and nobody mm. should ever feel less than. It's interesting, this whole concept of strong women. And I, I guess it's a label that it gets attributed to you quite a lot. And I wonder what you thought about does society really like strong women do men do men like straight men? Do they like strong women? Yeah, you do have to say straight men because gay men love a strong woman yeah, you know
0: um I think it really depends on how secure the men are because there are women that don't like strong women. I absolutely am so appalled by the way women treat other women I think Jealousy and envy are so, such a strong, you know, sense that it stops women from supporting each other. I mm-hmm. love when I meet another strong woman. There's a bit of a hesitation, I think, in the beginning because we're smelling each other out like dogs would do in a fight, but it's, <laughs> it, it always ends up great because I love a strong woman. I love a boss, B I T C H. She's out there running the show and
1: doing her thing. Do you think that's an American thing, though? Because I think British culture is a bit more like build them up, tear them down, become envious, whereas Americans seem to uplift people more. No, Katie, no. Women in general are taught
0: to tear each other down. And it's horrible. Mm -hmm. We need to lift each other up. And I understand jealousy. I understand envy. I go through it all the time, especially in this industry. This industry is really dangerous for that. Mm -hmm. You just said earlier, you know, you'll see somebody who got the job over you and you can't, I sit there and going, well, why did she get it? I, you know what I mean? And that's just, that's just our ego speaking. So I think in, in general, you have to find a man who is secure in who they are to lift a strong woman up and support that. And when it happens, it's beautiful. You know, it's very difficult in a relationship to have two alphas or two people that are the strong, so to speak type. Um, It can happen. It's just mm. one has to always fall back just a little to, to help each other, to help the stronger one or the more aggressive or whichever ones stay up there. But it's tough. And, and I've been called a lot of names in my lifetime and they won't stop calling me that anytime soon. And you know what? I don't care
1: I think it's interesting, isn't it because I think it's working in this industry that can you can go through waves of you know you feel you can stand your ground, you feel confident, other times it's a roller coaster of uh if it's if there's rejection, then you question yourself and and trying to kind of protect yourself from other people's decisions that aren't necessarily about you or your capability all
0: the time in this industry. This industry is so dangerous mentally, especially to women, the way we Mm -hmm. view ourselves, let alone each other, the way we view our bodies, you know, our hair, whatever, every, you never feel good enough. So that's Mm -hmm. why you have to get to a point, like I can't compare myself with Kim Kardashian. Mm -hmm. I don't have the money. I don't look like her. I don't have the butt. That there's just things (laughs) that, you know what I mean? It's not fair for me to do that. Yet we do do that. And that's what we have to stop doing as, as women, social media is, is, you know, the worst at doing that. We have daughters, we have to be aware of what they're looking Mm -hmm. at and the body shaming and the, you know, fame shaming, the money shaming, all of it, it all exists. The Mm -hmm. slut shaming, it's just, it's got this cancel culture has got to stop. We're trying to raise kids in this, but if they're looking at this and this isn't real, and they want to be that. That leaves us with kind of no ground to stand on, to try to explain to them this isn't real, but they're looking at it and it looks real. So it's very difficult. So you have to, my opinion and my advice to you, Katie, not as a mother, but as a, as a friend and a fellow woman, is to stop caring about Mm -hmm. what other people say and what other people think. You just need to focus. Well, that's the goal. That's the bliss, isn't it? Yeah. But it took me, I'm 51. It probably Mm -hmm. took me till I was 43, 44 to get to the point of, oh, it really doesn't matter what you think. Mm -hmm. It matters what I think. It's important to me that I leave a legacy of kindness and love and light. I don't want people to go, oh, she stepped on whoever she had to, to get the job. And you hear about Mm. these big celebrities who don't have the best reputations or they're mean to their PAs or mean to runners. Mm -hmm. It's just not the legacy that I want to leave in this world. So I try to be nice to everybody that I come across and include everybody in on the conversation. I don't ever want to feel left out. You know, it's so funny Mm -hmm. when I did Strictly, my partner uh, was Giovanni and we have a great friendship and we talk every day and it's wonderful. And we had a, a little disruption during a rehearsal once where we were having just, we were just arguing all the time. And he (sighs) sat me down and we talked and he said, you know what? I'm going to be honest with you. He said, I never had a partner that everybody wants to be friends with that. Everybody wants to hang out with that. Everybody wants a piece of all the time. And I had to explain to him, that's who I am though. I I want to give to these people. If they want to talk mm-hmm. to me, I'm not going to say no. If they want to have, sit with me at lunch, I'm not going to say no. And I think when I explained it, he understood it and it changed our relationship moving forward.
1: Yeah. What was your time? Like, you know, I did, I did Strictly the year before I know you, you did. Yeah. So I watched you on Strictly um, and I, you know, I thought you were going to win from very early oh, on. So you're so sweet. I was very surprised at the results. What Do you look back with, fondness or what's your kind of now, now you're out of it. How do you look back on it? But first of all,
0: I would do it again every year. If I said, can you just have me every year and just don't judge me. I'll just, just do every dance. It was Mm -hmm. the best experience ever. So I'm still dancing. So I injured my knee at the launch show and did the whole series, um, with a torn meniscus in my knee. I didn't do that. Yeah. I didn't disclose it because, um, The MRI that I had for after the launch show said that it was just inflammation when it turns out it wasn't.
1: Wow. So it
0: was an injury. So I had surgery in February. Um, But I wish, I wish that I could have done it not injured to see what would have happened because Gio was amazing in choreographing things because I couldn't use my right knee fully. I couldn't bend. So it was a different experience than I would have loved, but it was. I can't, I don't regret a thing. I can't complain about a thing. I would Mm. do it again. My knee is perfect now. Like I'm ready. Um, And I fell in love with dancing. And honest to God, I I want them to do an all-stars. I want to do, I want to do the tour. I want to do everything. I, did you feel the same way or were
1: you like over it? <laughs> do you know what? I was like a baby elephant because I have like no rhythm. Like I I can't Vogue. <laughs> um, and I was kind of like rabbit in headlights. Like, oh, my God, what am I going to do? I've got to press up against this guy. I can feel his genitals against my leg. Like I was yes! just like so out Woo-hoo! of my depth. Like, it was just a, like first day I felt his balls on my thigh. And I was yes! just like, oh, my God, I'm so scared. Who was your partner? Um, Gorka because we're both oh, like really and- short. Yeah. But Gork is amazing and he's it was so good. And he's got this yeah, but he's like s- with his sexy accent. Ugh. And I was just a bit like, well oh God, I just had a baby, what am I doing? And I didn't en- I did enjoy it because most of my work is so like serious and intense, and it was actually a laugh, you know, and I loved all the makeup and the glam and stuff like that. But just as I started to let go and, and actually learn something, I was off. I was I was booted off. So because I was so far behind in ability, I would have loved, like you said, to dance for a few, you know, a few more weeks no judgment and actually kind of get up there with the competition and but yeah I'd do it again because it's so, it's oh. something in me that is it brings out the competitiveness in you you want to give it another go keep going like it's a good experience, experience. so
0: freeing honestly I, I it was the best experience of my life in the past you know, obviously my kids and my husband, but I mean it was such a, <laughs> I love such a get that in there. <laughs> I know well, because my husband's in the other room, he's gonna be like, We well, keep saying that, what about us? It's like obviously <laughs> you can't compare dancing on a TV show to my kids. Yeah. But it was um so rewarding, even with an injury, rewarding and giving and so hard and the determination, like I didn't even know that was still alive in me to want to mm-hmm. do to just to get yeah. it. It was honestly, Katie, if I could do it again, I would. And hopefully one day that'll happen somewhere, somehow. We took
1: it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember, hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see we could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga, Hellblade Two. Play it now with Game Pass. Yeah.
0: I had an experience once with somebody who wanted to um, like role play uh-huh. like um, like with relatives stuff. No. Yes. No. That's a
1: and hard I couldn't.
0: And I said, I said, um, they no. wanted. They first said, da- like dad, daddy, oh, and, no. and, and I said, um, well, that's not so bad. But um. So I suggested maybe, like, I said, maybe the most I could do is uncle. (laughs) Okay, so that was just a snippet of an episode with actor and podcaster Justin Long. I'm Jesse Tyler Ferguson, and I'm telling you, you need to listen to the full episode on my podcast, Dinners on Me. Over a meal at Pine and Crane in downtown L.A., we get into his love story with Kate Bosworth, his career, and so much more. To listen, just search Dinners on Me wherever you listen to podcasts. so from something else. How did we get here? With Claudia Winkleman and Professor Tanya Byron. In these in-depth one-on-one therapy sessions, we dig deep into personal stories with fascinating and emotional revelations. A passionate, insightful and moving
1: experience with clear outcomes to each episode. He is as anxious about attachment with you as you are with him. Oh, wow. Oh, wow, that's crazy, isn't it? Oh, that's a weird feeling. Wait, so. Oh, God. Don't you just feel like, whoa, why didn't I know that all along?
0: Listen now in Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and all good podcast
1: apps. I mean, this authenticity is like this whole relationship with you and RuPaul. It's not a manufactured thing. It's an authentic friendship. I mean, tell me how you first originally met each other. So I first met Ru
0: in the nightclubs in New York City. So I was 18 years old and we both worked in a nightclub. Now, I I worked as a voguer. It was Mm -hmm. me and, you know, a few beautiful children from my house. And without getting too deep into that, if you watch Pose, I was in a house and um, we would Vogue at, like three nights a week and get get paid for it. But really, all the kids wanted were the drink tickets anyway. They didn't care about our little <laughs> pittance of the money that we got. But Rue would be working those same parties. And I would see Rue, and he would see me. And it was just kind of like, hi, hi. I didn't know him. And then mm-hmm. in 1992, I had a song on the Bodyguard soundtrack, and Paul had a song called Supermodel. And we ran into each other at a music conference and I went up to him and I said, um, I don't know, it was in the green room. And I said, I don't know if you remember me from the clubs. And he was like, girl, not only do I remember you, but I've been watching you and you are an and superstar. And I remember that moment and those words exactly because I've always wanted to be, in my mind, Madonna 2.0. Like in my head, I was like, I'm mm-hmm. going to be the next Madonna then it didn't happen. I had a great pop music career, but that didn't happen. But he was the first person who said that to me unsolicited besides my mom. So it was like mm. a moment of I was Powerful. being validated. Yeah, I was being seen. Yeah. And that was 92. And then 96 happened. And I was auditioning for a brand new breakfast show on radio. And mm-hmm. he was auditioning and they put us together, not knowing that we knew each other. And he walked in the room right. and said, of Of course, it's you sitting here. Who else would it be? And that's when our career took off. We started on radio. Then he brought me in as a sidekick on his um, television show here. And we've worked together ever since. And that was 96.
1: Yeah. What's your normal like off-screen relationship? Like, you know, if if you just hang out together, do you just chill together? Like, what do you do together?
0: We'll just go to lunch or I'm going to have lunch with him this week. I'll go pick up salads and we'll go socially distance and go eat. Or, you know, we used to work out Mm. together all the time, but we live, we live about, 45 minutes apart now, so we don't do that. But when we lived in New York, we would train at the gym together every day. It's just normal friend stuff, isn't it?
1: Mm. Yeah, just, yeah, just real friends. I mean, yeah. that's the thing, actually. That's the real sense I get with you. Because before I um, knew I was going to talk to you, I thought, is Michelle Visage, like, is it is it a persona? Is it a, because obviously it's a stage name, but it is, it is the whole thing like a Sasha Fierce kind of alter ego. But I now I feel like perhaps not. No, it's it's definitely not. I you know, Rue said to me early on because I do a lot
0: of interviews or whatever and he I tell everything and I say everything. Nothing's ever off limits. And he mm-hmm. says, "Don't you ever think of being private or quiet about not saying any everything all the time?" And I said, "No, I actually never thought about that because all the tabloids and all the crap that you read is mm-hmm. is people trying to find skeletons in your closet. And if mm-hmm. you don't have any, then they can't hold it against you. So if somebody says to me, um, you said this,
1: this, and this, and I'll say, well, yeah, it's right. It's right there. It's public. I mean, I have to say it's the best coping mechanism that has worked for me in terms of putting it out there. I, I go to events with no makeup on. I go to events with loads of makeup on. I talk about my story. You know, if someone trolls me online, you're burnt, you're scarred. I'm like, I'm burnt to a crisp. Every area of my face is burnt. I know I'm putting it out there. I've written about it. I've spoke about it. And when I was dating, I found it far more effective to really just put it out there first. So that actually, yep. it, for anyone that found that a turnoff or couldn't handle it, I'd already kind of rejected them before they rejected me, perhaps. Maybe. Yes. Yeah. And, and that's that's definitely a defensive
0: mechanism to protect ourselves. And And listen, what you've been through I don't blame you for having that. I have mm. that as well for whatever I've been through. But at the end of the day, somebody saying that to you, Katie, is to me, obviously, unnecessary, unwarranted, disgusting, all of that. But mm. if you sit there and you think about somebody saying to you, your face is burned, your, whatever, that person is at the lowest low in their life. Mm-hmm. That they have to say something like that to somebody who's so empowering, so uplifting, so wonderful, so positive. You have to then, in turn, think about that person and how pathetic yeah. their life has to be. It's and got, get just to a like, point of empathy for them almost. You have to feel yeah. empathy for them. Yeah. What are they missing out on in their life? They're not. They're definitely not experiencing love the way you and I are. Mm-hmm. If they have to do that, or if you have to bully a kid because they're gay or whatever the situation is, how bad is their life that that's what they're doing? And you do have to find empathy and reach out to that person if you can mm. and say, can I help you?
1: Because you seem to be in pain. And mm. they'll be so caught off guard. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You'll floor That them, they won't yeah. know. Yep. They don't Someone know said so a good. brilliant one to me that always helps me deal with negativity. And it was um, hurt people hurt people. And Perfect. I thought, that that's it. That is it. And that's actually what I recite every time I read something that's an attack, you know? You are um, 100% correct. Hold on. D- is that your David? dog?
0: David, Lily? Yeah. Can somebody let the dogs out?
1: <laughs> like what dogs do you, do you have?
0: have? Uh, so we rescue, and we've got yeah. a pity slash Staffordshire Terrier. And then we have um, my husband, when we... We had to put our, our beloved American bulldog down last year. Oh. And my husband has always wanted a border collie. So my yeah. daughter went online and she found one that looked like a border collie, but we had the DNA done. She's only 10% border collie. She's mostly, <laughs> she's mostly pit bull as the rest of them are, but she's smaller and she's lovely. And we just yeah. got her. Well, in fact, I've
1: seen the dogs because I've seen you pick up dog shit on How's Your Head, hun? Thank
0: you. <laughs> That's my job. And just to let everybody know that I do it. But that's our little (laughs) Daisy. Yeah, she's on there with Romeo. They're amazing. We just, you know, dogs are part of who we are. I was just kind of always had one and always rescued
1: yeah. let's talk about the show because um you know i was going to ask you some of the cliche questions like how are you dealing with lockdown and i'm like she's dealing so well because she's made a whole series a new bbc <laughs> series out of lockdown um you know we talked about the kardashians You're, you know your whole family are in the program we get to see in your closet your house you have a, a celebrity guest each week and was it your yeah. idea the whole the whole format you know
0: what when we were i was over in in london and um when the whole lockdown thing and the travel ban started and I thought, Oh, I have to get out of here. And I thought about Mm. what I was going back into. Now I am the anti-Kardashian and I don't have a guest house, a chef, a pool, (laughs) you know, this or that. So I thought I'm going to be going through quarantine. I think the way a lot of people are going to be going through quarantine, not knowing what's going on, not knowing what to do with our kids who are still in school. Mm -hmm. Um, all so i thought and bbc was like well should we put some cameras in there and i was like i don't know should we and i oh they rigged ask, do you have rigged cameras then no, well so they they dropped them off at the front door sterilized my husband mm-hmm. brought them in and he set them all up nobody came in and did it he's done it all the lighting uh-huh. the sound the cameras he's good uh, yeah he's amazing and they're just placed throughout the house and we move them where we have to move them and and we do what we have to do and and uh, it's, it's so much fun because we get to do stupid stuff and we'd mm-hmm. still be doing it anyway, just not necessarily on camera, but it's, it's fun to be able to share our absurdity with the, with the UK because I love your beautiful country so much and it means so much to me.
1: Yeah, um, it's. I kind of, honest think of you as British because you embrace the culture, and but obviously, you. <laughs> I even was shocked you're in California. I was like, oh, I thought she'd be living in London in lockdown, and
0: um, not yeah, because my family's not there, so I have a yeah. place over there. I'm in Northwest London. Mm-hmm. Um, it's, for me, I don't know what the connection is to your fair land, but when I get off the plane at Heathrow, there's a sense of, ah, I'm home. I think maybe because I'm a New Yorker. I live in LA for the business, but I'm definitely a New Yorker at heart. And there's such mm-hmm. a, a symbiosis with New York and London. And there's such a s- similar energy, except that people are nicer in the UK than are they really, are in okay. New York.
1: Well, which country are you more famous in? Because you're really famous in the UK. That's really nice of you to say. My um, dad knows who you are. My dad's 70. He knows who you are. I told dad! It- yeah. yeah, I told it today, I had you on the podcast. He was like, oh, that's so exciting. And I was like,
0: oh, it is, isn't so it? so sweet. Oh, go yeah. on, dad. Um, <laughs> I think Strictly helped a lot with that too, with the older set, which is yeah. wonderful because I felt like I understood that. You know, I was one of the oldest on the show, mm. and I, proudly, proudly. Um, but for me, I don't know. I would imagine Ru- RuPaul's Drag Race is pretty huge here. And, we, you know, we've won... Luckily mm. and blessed to win some Emmys and we're nominated for a BAFTA now. Um, wow. So I can't tell you, because to me, I don't see myself as famous. I see myself as still working to to get to the point where I can say, yeah, I know. I feel like I've got some amount of fame, yeah. but I don't look at myself as
1: famous. I think that's gross. I don't know if but I think it's a, it's like being that. a grafter though, isn't it? Like you never feel like enough is enough and you just stop because you're, you're constantly grafting and working because you didn't come from privilege. You You came from go out there and make it happen yourself kind of work ethic. Yeah. And I think I'm always going to be that way, Katie, because it's not that
0: when is it going to be enough? Because I don't ever want to sound greedy, but it's, mm. I'm, I'm still chasing my tail, not for fame, but to pay mm-hmm. the bills. Uni here is way more expensive than it is there. And, mm-hmm. you know, whatever the situation is, I have to always be doing something. I don't know why. It's just, mm. I think you've hit the nail on the head. I, both my parents worked growing up. I was a latchkey mm-hmm. kid. I let myself in and out after right. school and
1: at a very young age. So for me, I grew up around workers, so I'm a grafter. I wondered how aware your kids are of you and what you represent and what you mean to everybody. Because like when you went on Strictly, I was like, good, good. She's so um, ageless. She's so glamorous. She's so sexy. Um, She's so unapologetic. And I want to see her in a leotard where people, because I hate it when people would interview me and be like, well, what are you going to do now? You're not going to get married. You're going to do for a living. And it's like, don't put me in a box to say I'm not sexy anymore or I don't represent femininity. and, And I really hate, I think, I don't know that is actually a british thing but we like to label people box them off and sort of sever the expectation and i feel like you kind of went on strictly and you weren't a 50 year old woman you were like you said earlier you don't conform to society's expectations or standards and that was a strong message for me i I, like i wonder if your kids know that they're living amongst that woman do you think they're aware of that you are so
0: kind and so giving and so sweet thank you for saying that (laughs) um no my kids don't give a shit They don't even, they do not, they're just my kids. Like they, they don't care who they're, they love their mom. And that's just it. Like we have a gay daughter and she even, she like doesn't watch Drag Race. And she feels Mm -hmm. weird when people (laughs) say Mm -hmm. they find out and she feels weird. And uh, it's just because I think I'm their mom and that's Mm. just it. And that's fine with me. That's my job. But, you know, I, I hate that people have that societal thing where they say you know you you read the comments which i don't do anymore but if you do you'll see it's just toxic at some point sometimes words do hurt and that's mm-hmm. what makes me sad i hate when people say things like well what are you going to do now you're 50 years
1: old so yeah. Yeah. I'm but it goes back to the council culture. You said, you know, the envy, the yep. cancel culture, you're burnt. It's over for you. You're 50. It's over for you. And it's like, yeah, if you keep saying that and perpetuating that message, then nobody's ever going to aim any higher or rise above anything. So stop doing that to people because you're jealous that you can't go beyond it because you're not confident enough.
0: Because I am.
1: Is. So don't push. There me, you go. You know, go, girl. Yeah. it's just, it just I don't know. It just, it just irritates me, but, but then you're, you're there, you're representing this and there's more people being seen and heard that are, are representing that. I think, like, I think things are getting better. What do you think? I think so. I think slowly, but surely women
0: are, you know, realizing that they don't have to be what society dictates and they can support one another. And, you know, I mm. think, listen, anything, no matter what it is, if somebody wants to be a stripper or somebody works in, in, you know, Adult entertainment. Mm-hmm. Who are we to judge what they do? If that's what right. they want to do, then let them yeah. do it. Again, it's not it's not hurting you. You can lift them up because mm-hmm. that's what they are. As long as they're not being exploited or they're comfortable with it, then then bless them. Let them do what they want. And I think mm-hmm. the more that we stand together um, as women and lift each other up, I think the stronger and more powerful we'll be, and we'll we'll drop those um, needs to conform. I don't think. Life is so short, and I don't think you trying to fit in a box that isn't your size box mm-hmm. is going to serve you. It's not going to really do you any justice. So for mm-hmm. you, Katie, trying to fit into what
1: society is telling you to do, but that's not what you want to do, who's that going to yeah. benefit? It's point. I can't – you know, it's done for me there anyway. There's no point trying to be like Claudia Schiffer or Love Island. Like, it, Same. It, I'm so far from it now. There's no point anyway. What's the point? You know, it's just going to be but an, an unhappy journey. I think we were
0: ever – I don't think we were ever in that. I think that was never our path. I think Mm. in my mind, I wanted to look like Pamela Anderson, but that was never going to be my path. Mm. Like in my head, I was like, oh yeah, I look that good. Mm, No, no, Michelle, you actually didn't. But that's, (laughs) bless you for trying, you know? So I think it's up to us to find our own feet and our own voice and our own journey in life and be true to that, be authentic to who you are, which is why- Going back, I don't dull my sparkle. I don't mm. quiet my voice because mm-hmm. that's who I am. Some people could find that annoying. That's fine. You can turn the channel. You can move away. But that doesn't mean that you're going to change or that I'm going to change. Mm-hmm. I'm not hurting anybody. I'm just being true to who I am.
1: Mm. We've talked We've talked a lot about other people and all the people you support. Um, but I wondered how you are in this time of quarantine. Because I know you've talked openly about eating disorders that have affected you and body image. And I think, actually, if you've had any kind of addiction or any disorder in your life, quarantine is a time for excess or self-harm and punishment. You know, there's all these memes and jokes about gin and tonic and overeating, but, I mean, they're kind of harmful, those memes, because it's a really difficult time for a lot of people with food and alcohol and drugs. I, I wondered how it's been for you um, personally. i I think there's a, thank you. I think there's a, um, a fine line that
0: everybody's walking here in quarantine that suffer with addiction or mental health issues or, uh, body dysmorphia. I think for me, you have to tell yourself, starting with telling yourself it's okay not to be okay,
1: because Mm, none mm. of us
0: have ever dealt with this before. We don't know what it's like. Um, this is the first time in history our history that we 're all in this together um literally instead of you know you could say i 'm here for you, babes, but this is actually we are all in this together that 's the first and foremost thing it 's okay not to be okay if you are putting on weight that 's okay it 's mm-hmm. trust me it 's okay you 're you 're healthy you 're alive you 're mm-hmm. in your four walls and you 're going crazy I understand but if if putting on weight is is just the way to get through then you're gonna, that's okay so where the fine line is being walked is when you don't want somebody who suffers with alcoholism to turn to alcohol or somebody mm-hmm. who had a drug addictive past to turn to drugs and things like that That's where it can get really tricky, and that's where I think therapists numbers um good Samaritans all these numbers are are non stop twenty four seven ringing because yeah. people do need help through this, and and I implore everybody who needs help that's listening, to reach out and get yeah. the help because it's there. I've been it's doing. It. I've
1: been having Skype. I see a therapist normally, so I've carried it on on Skype in lockdown. Good girl. Good girl. It's been excellent, yeah. It's really. Yeah. It's, some weeks I feel like, oh, I don't know if I need it, and then I go on there and I'm like, I did need it. I really needed it. Other weeks I can't wait for the session to come. I'm really. I'm writing notes down and everything. You know, it's, do you, Yeah do you know
0: what, Katie? I think it's a it's a misunderstanding, especially in the UK about therapy. I think people view it as weak. And Mm. they sweep stuff. It's very British to sweep stuff under the rug and just not talk Mm. about it. But what you don't realize is something that you just said. Sometimes you don't have to have an issue, so to speak. You're just not Mm -hmm. feeling right. You're not feeling Mm. normal, quote unquote. And you don't need to say... You know, I was abandoned at birth. It doesn't need to be these no, big issues. there's
1: no story for it. Everyone has that story. I mean, for me, I actually now do it out of respect for my husband so that I'm not constantly burdening him and offloading to him and so that the relationship has a clear dynamic of husband and wife, not kind of victim and, and, and someone carrying me. And the same so I don't scream at my kids and get angry at them. You know, I have my private space where I can just offload and it's confidential. It's, you said you still do therapy. Is that right? Yeah, I'm on yeah. and off.
0: Um, over the years, like I said, I've been doing it since I was 16. So it's been a very long time. At one point I was up to three times a week, you know, mm. when I had some baggage to deal with and I've been through good therapists. I've been through horrible therapists, but you it's eventually like dating. <laughs> it is. It a hundred percent is. So anybody that's thinking about it and listening, please don't settle for the one that you've been given or the first one that you meet, if it doesn't feel right and you don't feel comfortable talking to that therapist, carry on until you find somebody because it's mm. important that you have that full disclosure relationship with that therapist. Otherwise
1: it will not work. Was it a therapist that helped you guided you through tracking your mom down? Uh, no, believe it or not, I did that.
0: So it was a private adoption and I did it through the adoption agency and mm. they sent, uh, they couldn't tell me cause it was closed So they Mm. sent her a letter and they found her through, um, social security because her driver's license turned up nil. So they found her through social security, sent her a letter. And then they called me and said, your mother contacted us. How do you Mm. want her to contact you? Do you want to call her or do you want to have her call you? So I said, have her call me. And she called me immediately. And She was, uh, it was amazing. It was an amazing phone call to hear her voice and ask her all these questions. And then I met her like a month after we spoke on the phone. And that was Mm -hmm. amazing because it, I thought it was going to be a moment where the heavens opened and God shone his light on me and was like, (laughs) Oh, but it wasn't that angels (laughs) weren't singing. It was more, Mm -hmm. I was 26, I think 25 or 26. It was more of, and my mom was still alive. So she had a problem with it. And I kind of said, listen, I'm doing this with or without you. Mm-hmm. I'm not replacing you. You're my mom. Mm-hmm. You mm-hmm. could either know about it or not. And she said, mm-hmm. all right, I want to know. I said, if you want to know, then I'm going to tell you. So I went to meet Joanne, who's my biological mother. And it was a moment of looking at her and seeing her face and going, okay, now I can put it together. And it mm-hmm. was more of a thank you woman to woman for mm. not terminating her pregnancy, for allowing me to have the life with my mom and dad. And it was, that, it was more about that. And then we ended up having a great relationship until she passed three years ago.
1: Okay. So it was the start of something. It wasn't closure. It was the start of a relationship.
0: Start of a relationship, but she was not overbearing. My mom had died before I got pregnant and my biological mother was still there. So she like, when I gave birth to our first daughter, Lily, she came in, she stayed out of the way stayed uh-huh. with us but did not she just cooked for us she cleaned for us she uh-huh. took care of of what she could on my part like she always knew her place i didn't ever call her mother or mom it was always joanne and i had two sisters half sisters that i met that i'm still close with today so i got a whole new extended family that i never knew existed which was the cool part of it and she mm-hmm. knew she never overstepped her boundaries she was just a wonderful giving loving woman and being a mother now I couldn't imagine the pain of carrying a baby than having to give it up. But I'm grateful.
1: It's amazing how you summarized her, a wonderful, giving, loving woman, which I think summarizes you. You know, very gentle, really. You know, to have this forgiveness in your heart, to have this acceptance, and almost to be at peace and sort of healed through meeting her like that. I mean, some people might not have dealt with it that way and might have lived with resentment and anger. I understand that too, especially for adopted kids
0: who don't get to meet their parents. And, and a lot of the times it doesn't work out, but mm-hmm. it was, you know, hardest thing she ever did. And if there was a while when I found that I had sisters, I was like, well, why did she keep them? You know, you go through this thing in your mind. Why, why did she keep them and not me? And there are stories, mm-hmm. but really they don't matter. What no, matters no, no. is that I was given this opportunity mm-hmm. to have a beautiful life where she could have easily ended the pregnancy and she didn't. So I was yeah. grateful for that.
1: And it shaped you because, like we said earlier, you've gone on to give so much and to mentor and to take the pain away from so many others. And, you know, what we're seeing at the moment in society is we need people who love people. We need people to give out love and to wrap their arms around society and say it's going to be okay. We don't have a lot of that at the moment.
0: No, and life isn't perfect, and the world is far from perfect. So if we can all try to better ourselves doing one small thing a day, um, even just for yourself, Mm. it'll in turn turn outward. When you start to show that love to yourself, it has no choice but to kind of radiate outward and love people for, for who they are. Most people that are racist or homophobic or xenophobes, whatever it is, not, not most, all. They all don't love themselves. Mm-hmm. They, can't, they can't show themselves the love and respect that they deserve. So therefore, will never be able to give it to anybody else unless they work on themselves. Mm-hmm. And that's what, it's, that's what it's about, learning to really and truly love and accept yourself.
1: And then you'll be able to
0: radiate that outward.
1: And you've cracked it. And this is why you're my extraordinary woman of my extraordinary Aww. people podcast <laughs> thank I've, you my i've darling. enjoyed talking to you so much i could have gone on forever but i just find you so interesting and just so so real i suppose so, so authentic thank you my darling and i find you the same i'm proud of everything that you do
0: every time i see your smiling face whether it's in the paper or on the telly it's encouraging and uplifting and just you are a positive ray of light so next time i'm out which will be soon, hopefully, once this lifts, we will go have a lunch or a tea and do something nice.
1: Yeah, I'll get my mask ready. My I'm treat. Coming. Yeah. Good, good girl. <laughs> Fantastic. Ah, well, thank you so much. Thank you so much. Thanks for listening to Casey Piper's Extraordinary People. If you haven't already, please subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. If you enjoyed this, please help us spread the word. Rate and review the show where you got this or share on socials.